Welcome to Color Me Conscious. We have more in common than difference. Our intention is to explore the intersectionality that unites us and build consciousness about the layers of oppression we all carry. Color Me Conscious, where consciousness is at the forefront of the discussion about race. of Color Me Conscious. I'm Myra. And I'm Malika. And this is Rachel Fields. Back again. Yeah. Back again. And um, Rachel, we're just going to dive right into it. Our audience, if you guys know, we're talking about um, white fragility and managing whiteness. So starting off the second episode here, I'd just love to know, like, how did you decide to start studying whiteness? Like, how did that come about? Yeah. So what I had... What I had said in our last episode about being a white, I'm a white medical student, I see these ways that um, my education at UCSF in Berkeley um, uh, sort of reinforce racist ways that I think already. Mm. Um, and then um, for my master's research, I began to look at how the way that I thought about racism was focused on people of color. Um, so, you know, I had the thinking that if I want to do something about racism, I need to do research that shows how harmful racism is for people of color. I think that that is a really common assumption for white people that are, like, um, socially conscious and want to do something, that there's a tendency to go outside of whiteness and into pockets and other groups and communities to try to, like leverage whiteness in a way that's helpful yeah right and and the there could be a bit of futility in approaching things that way so i'm so curious i'd love to hear more about how you came to then decide to study whiteness yeah and i think the other piece of that and the harder to digest piece is that it's very paternalizing like oh i need to come and help people of color and be an advocate for them mm-hmm. because I'm this white woman, I'm now in academia, I have access to publishing and I have this sort of uh, voice of data. Mm-hmm. And so I can't help. Instead of um, the feedback that I got from uh, friends and colleagues and mentors of color who were like, actually we need you to look at white people. Okay. Like, we don't need you to... <laughs> We don't need you to research people of color anymore. We already know all that. Right. We know that racism is hurtful and harmful for people of color. It's been spelled out for 200 years. Right. Right. And if you actually saw that, you wouldn't feel the need to do this. Right. Mm. And actually what we need you to do is do a community participatory action research with white middle class women. And, I love it. I you know, love people it. People who think they're not racist but actually are really contributing to racism and mm-hmm. not changing it. But we've had that conversation in the past about um, white people being the only ones that can stop white supremacy and white people the only ones that can stop racist systems because they were created white by white people. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And my personal theory that racism is making white people sick. It's making everybody sick. It's making everybody sick across the board, but white people are not excluded from that. Well, and Mm -hmm. I think that there's this, you know, um, because a lot of the way that white, uh, like, privilege works is because it's, you know, under the radar and it's not addressed directly, you know, then there's all these assumptions about how white privilege is good for us, Mm. right? Because that's, like, one of the things of why we don't want to talk about whiteness is because 
there's a part of us that doesn't want to lose that privilege, you know? Like, I want for everybody to have, but I don't want for my things to get taken away. Right. Somehow, right? giving others more means you have less. It's seen yeah. as, a, as, a, as a, yeah, as a, as a them or us. Mm -hmm. It's not a yes and. Right. <laughs> right. Which definitely is a pillar of white supremacy that we've talked about in the right. past. That either or mentality instead of yes and, instead of all of us can. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But how that then goes about reinforcing, you know, mm -hmm. if we're thinking about, in, in the background, we're thinking that, oh, you know, by addressing white supremacy, um, then we're going to lose something. Mm -hmm. That's an assumption yeah. that white supremacy is working for us, right? Right? If you that is it's actually that. like it's a, that it is working for us, and so we, you know, even though we, it's bad and in some ways we want it to change. Like we don't want it to change the things that are good for us. But I think if there was more dialogue about how white supremacy is really hurting us, mm -hmm. mental health mm -hmm. amongst the white community is a public health like it's an issue it's, for everybody it's an epidemic though i mean when yeah. it comes to these you know shootings and you know um these kind of mass like enraged white men like mm. i think part of that comes from white supremacist thinking yeah right, exactly know? and so when we bring it back to the work that you're doing and the research that you're doing mm -hmm. can we talk a little bit more about some of those interviews that you had mm -hmm. with those middle class white women yes <laughs> interviewed 22 uh, faculty at UCSF, mm -hmm. and 13 of those faculty were women, and 17 were white. So mm -hmm. they were mostly white women. Mm -hmm. And um, I originally had asked, um, I originally was focused on asking faculty how they understand what racism is and race and how they incorporate it into their curriculum. Mm -hmm. But what they really wanted to talk about were the conversations they felt expected to have about racism. While they're teaching someone else. While they're teaching, so in a classroom, in front of students, or in a small group, mm -hmm. or, you know, like we said, in the clinical, the exam right. room with right. patients, or between colleagues, mm -hmm. or, you know, when the deans call a town hall to address something that came up and faculty are like, oh, I, don't, I don't know how to handle this conversation. I don't uh, have tools to deal with the intense emotions that are coming up because yeah. you're right it is yeah. there's a deeper layer of sort of a sickness and part of it is an emotional thing of like I don't know how to deal with this intense emotion mm -hmm. that comes up this is we're talking about things that are hurtful and painful mm -hmm. and I don't know how to handle my own feelings about that right and they're so intrinsic in everything that we do yeah. from the moment you wake up to the moment you go sleep at night it's everywhere it's in the media it's in our interpersonal relationships it's in our power dynamics and the structures of how we move through the world mm -hmm. and you know how heavy for those that are in a position of influence and educators, right? There's a power differential between you and those that are asking questions, between you, the teacher, and the patient, or the teacher and the student. Um, and when we add this incredibly uncomfortable layer into the conversation, it can go left real quick. Yeah. It can get, it can, and someone's yeah. feelings can end up getting hurt if we're not all equipped to have the conversation before we have the conversation. Yeah. And then you add white fragility to that with um, this layer of, uh, I don't want to look racist. Mm. I'm tolerant. Mm. I want their. I want to support my uh, students of color. Right. I want to uh, advocate for my colleagues of color. Right. But um, I don't know how to respond to the fact that you just called me out for my lecture. Mm. 
or I don't know how to respond when I don't stand up for my students. Right. So then it can automatically get to a place of defensiveness or aversion or deflection or just standing behind that, well, I, I know what's right, I'm the teacher, I'm, and don't question my authority, and, don't question me. And, and what about one of the other pillars of white supremacist mm -hmm. culture, the entitlement to comfort, right? Mm -hmm. Right? right? Don't, because don't push me. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Right. And I found a lot of faculty, a lot of the white faculty were really hesitant uh, to participate. Mm -hmm. You know, they talked about, well, you know, uh, I'm, I, I don't have experience in racism. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know what it's like. So if I you don't live in America, if you live in America, you know, you have enough experience to talk about racism. Yeah. Like, unless you're, unless you're unconscious, right? Unless you're not aware of how it's playing out around you, yeah. right? Unless mm -hmm. you're so cloaked in privilege and you're so cloaked in your homogenous world mm -hmm. that you've never been held a mirror up to your face and never been asked to like look at your own self and your own interactions. Yeah, but that's still a part of white fragility. Right. Like, it's, we, we don't so see true. it, right. and that's part of how white fragility, how uh, this sort of like racial naivete, mm -hmm. like um, Robin D'Angelo, the sociologist who coined the term white fragility, she calls it racial innocence. Mm. That I'm racially innocent, therefore um, I, oh. I don't have to become vulnerable in these conversations, so I'm just going to step back. And a lot of faculty that I interviewed are like, I'm scared to participate, so I'm going to stay quiet over here. Mm. Wow. But we know that that's where the complicit nature yeah. of, of enforcing you. Like I said before in our last episode, you don't have to be actively racist to complicitly reinforce racist beliefs and structures. Mm -hmm. So some of that, when you step back and you're fragile and you're afraid and you don't lean into the conversation and into the learning mm -hmm. and into the work that it takes to be able to wake up and be conscious, when you step back and you're quiet out of fear of offending anybody, or making yourself look bad, or make, or you know, or saying the wrong thing. You're complicit to racism. You're complicit to any ism mm -hmm. that is going on. You're complicit to sexism, and you're complicit to homophobia, and you're complicit to xenophobia, and you're complicit to every ism that's happening. If you don't say something, if you don't understand the importance of doing the work that it takes to know what to say, that part, right? It's then you're complicit. Mm -hmm. And if you're complicit, then you're just as bad as the active racist, the active sexist, the active terrorist. Mm -hmm. You're just yeah. as complicit. You're just... You might as well pick up the gun then. Because you, your silence is an action. Your yeah. inaction is an action. Yeah. And if this is making you uncomfortable, then we're doing our job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so one question that I have, a burning one, is... Before we get, yeah. I was just wondering what the findings were. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, one thing oh, yeah. related to that is that in medicine, also, there's this expectation that you have to be an expert. Mm -hmm. You know, there's this added layer of, you know, uh, I am really well versed in the way the body works, or right. like this oh, particular yeah. disease process. So we all have to stick to things that we're good at. Yeah, and if I'm not <laughs> an expert, therefore. I can't be part of this conversation and have meaningful contributions. Oh yeah, doctors and are not allowed to not know the answer. We're doctors, not allowed to be learners. Well, how can but, white people be a part of the conversation about racism right. and diversity if we're not part of diversity? Mm -hmm. Right? Right. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's an issue in medical education in general is that once you get to a certain point, 
You're supposed to know. Or you're supposed to, you're already supposed to know that, so don't embarrass yourself by asking that question again. You're supposed to learn that in your first year. What are you doing? You're a senior. You're a senior student. You're a senior resident. Yeah. You couldn't possibly have, no one taught you that. And there's this, there is this assumption that because I'm not allowed to not know something, then I have to know everything. Right. But no one knows everything. Yeah. Even the most tenured physician who's been doing this job for 50 years does not know everything. He might think he does. She might think she does, but she does not know everything. Most yeah. likely, they actually know a lot, a lot, a lot about very one small, narrow, specific thing. Right. And you, <laughs> you know, could, you could be a subject matter expert, but we know that, like, in all of those different interactions with the diversity of patients that doctors have to see, there has to be a humility of, like, I know that I don't know everything. Mm -hmm. I know that there are issues um, that I've never seen before. And there are nuances and anomalies and there are exceptions to every rule. That is something that you can say that you know. I know that I don't know everything. So yeah. tell me more about our people, these white women. <laughs> <laughs> what more did you find? Yeah, so um, this thing about not being prepared to have these conversations. Yeah, um, I'm not an expert, so what am I going to contribute? Um, which is a very... Uh, clear evasion of responsibility because mm. we are experts we're experts in white privilege right. <laughs> I, every day I benefit from it so right. I'm an expert in that mm. um, this fear of offending others like being scared to uh, you know say the wrong thing mm -hmm. because I I'm scared of my biases I might say something that's hurtful to a learner and I don't therefore want to even attempt to attempt to participate um, and then the one that I found so interesting and I ended up asking participants directly what is your role as a white educator in talking or addressing racism talking about or addressing racism at UCSF mm -hmm. like what is the role of the white person we know what the role of people of color is because that's what we fixated on mm -hmm. and similar to my own story what is the what do you think the role is mm -hmm. and i found that educators can think very similar to how i thought um, so, you know, my role is supportive, it's auxiliary. I am there to support my students of color. Mm. Um, I'm there to um, make sure that uh, things that are important to my colleagues of color who are not in leadership positions and have decision-making power like I have, actually get passed. Oh. I'm, there, um, I'm there essentially to uh, sort of facilitate or advocate mm -hmm. rather than I'm there to make sure that I have uh, uh, colleagues of color who are in leadership positions with right. me, or that uh, my students end up becoming fact. My students of color do become faculty right. at a medical mm. school. Um, and then the last one was that a lot of white people don't know what they should do, and they want people of color to tell them. Oh my God, that is so accurate. It's yeah. so accurate. I mean, it's a conversation that we've had a few times, and just for listeners' sake, like we, I think, what was it recently? It was like where you're basically, let's say you're in a room, it's like 30 people, 29 are white, there's one black person, one of the 29 white people says something racist, and then everybody else in the room will like, is the black person okay with that? Like, is all eyes on you? As if, yeah, and it's like, and it's yeah. like that person of color's like responsibility to be the um the like litmus test, right? right. Of like what is and isn't tolerated. Yeah. And the reality is, like, as a white person, 
I can be offended by somebody saying the N-word. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, I don't have to wait for a black person to say that's offensive for me to feel offended by it right. based on my beliefs and the way that the world is. Like, yeah. it's not okay, yeah, you know? Right. And you're right, there's not, like, I feel like more white people need to have, like, a not on my watch. Right. Yeah. Um, right. Well, and it's, you know? about, it's about reframing, like, we need to talk about racism uh, about, we need to talk about racism that we're, like, focused racism as actually we're talking about white supremacy. Right. right. That we're, racism is part of white supremacy. Right. It's right. The, the little car you drive, it's the car white supremacy drives. <laughs> it's not, yeah. white supremacy is the driver. Racism right. is not the driver, it's the car that white supremacy is driving. Right. And so we need to reframe the conversation to not focus on racism, mm -hmm. which white people continue to think is, well, then we're focusing on people of color and how racism hurts people of color. Therefore, addressing racism has to be in the hands of people of color. They're the ones responsible for doing the hard work, for being the leadership in this. Mm. And if we reframe the conversation to look at white supremacy, to look at whiteness, white privilege, then we reframe who is responsible for doing the work. Right. And, and that's such that a, a that's such a great point. And one of the questions I had is, what can white people do to recognize, acknowledge, and combat white fragility and oh, white supremacy? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I am um, so as a good medical student, I made my own little algorithm. Yes. Of, <laughs> <laughs> um, like the diarrhea decision tree with <laughs> racism. Yeah. So step one, um, you know the signs. Anybody who works at UCSF knows about the diarrhea decision tree. It's like this <laughs> algorithm that nurses have for. Assessing bowel movements and what it means. It's very important. It is. <laughs> Bodily functions. So important. Ins and outs. Um, so the first step in, for white people, I think, is very simple. You acknowledge that white supremacy is real. Ooh. <laughs> and that's, that's not easy. No. You acknowledge that what people of color have been saying around you for hundreds of years <laughs> is true. Yeah. And that's hard because we've been trained to be colorblind, to not see it, mm -hmm. to not be aware that the air we're all breathing is white supremacy. Right. It's infused with white supremacy. Mm -hmm. That's step one. White supremacy is real. Right. Two is you learn to see it. Okay, how, what in my interactions, uh, how are my interactions playing out white supremacy? Mm -hmm. How are my interactions with patients? How are my interactions with learners or with uh, teachers? Mm -hmm. um, how is it playing out on the political field nationally? Mm -hmm. um, how is it playing out at the grocery store? Mm -hmm. Et cetera, et cetera. You, you start to see it. You start to see this invisible air or water mm -hmm. around us. Right. And then the third part is you start to feel it. And this is twofold. The first part of feeling it is you start to feel um, your own feelings. So you get a sense mm -hmm. of what are my feelings. And I, I say this because I think culturally, we don't invest in knowing your feelings. That yeah. is very true. And if I'm going to respond uh, to someone saying, hey, Rachel, that was really hurtful what you said, um, and it was racist, and I'm going to respond, I'm going to feel a ton of shame, I'm going to feel guilt, mm -hmm. I'm going to feel embarrassed, I'm going to shut down, mm -hmm. or I'm going to become somewhat aggressive, or it's like, that's feelings leaking out of me. Yeah. And if I can't identify what I'm feeling, then I can't say, oh, look, I'm shutting down. But really what I want to do in this moment is acknowledge what I said. But I can't because my feelings get in the way. Right. And then the deeper part of this is feeling 
how terrible the effects of racism are and that I contribute to this. And this is what I think you're saying about how white people are in a sense also suffering from the sickness of racism is that we're taught not to feel it. Mm -hmm. It's shitty. Yeah. yeah. You know, and people change things that they feel, that they can feel. Mm -hmm. And white fragility is the shield from having an authentic emotional reaction mm -hmm. to how terrible wow. racism is. Yeah. You are so on point there, like, can I just, yeah. because, I know, I need a second, because we were actually having a, you know, related conversation before, and um, Mylika was kind of going through um, this anecdote, she was talking about this um, experience she had where um, she was being aggressed, uh, this man was being racist towards her. Oh yeah, in front of the hospital. Right, yeah, yeah, and, and then she kind of just broke down how in like, basically 6.5 seconds, she was able to do an assessment of this man, of what his capabilities were, where he was coming from, acknowledging the fact that she was at her job, compartmentalizing her emotions about it, responding in a way that was appropriate based on all those different factors, Yeah. right? And I was talking to her just acknowledging and appreciating the degree of um, emotional intelligence and self-awareness that she displayed in that moment. Mm -hmm. And I think that in mm -hmm. general, people of color and people who've been othered have to like reinforce that emotional intelligence and that self-awareness because there's a constant policing of white supremacist culture that is like you can only, you know, react within these, you know, certain channels. And like when you do this as somebody who's othered, there's going to be a response, mm -hmm. and that response yeah. is not going to be favorable. Mm -hmm. So then you got to navigate those sort of channels, and I think part of white privilege and that white supremacist underlying like like benefit is that like as whites, you're saying we don't have to manage the emotions yeah. related to white supremacy, and mm -hmm. I think you're so on point talking about the fact that we don't have to feel it because mm -hmm. we're talking about you know how is it that you know that white privilege and how it's so like um under the radar it's like uh it's invisible yeah. well of course if it's invisible then if we're not seeing it we're not feeling it mm -hmm. and that is really really powerful and that's yeah. really where the where the transition that's the transition point you you go from racial in innocence. Right? <laughs> That's interesting, to, to by the way. Right, and, and transition into complete awareness, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So that starts with self-awareness and then you can project that out. But like like any hurt that's put, if, if I'm hurt by something you did or something you said, you don't then get to tell me, but but it's not that bad. But, it, but, it, but I didn't mean to hurt you. Oh, don't so tell me in that way. Don't tell me that you're hurt. <laughs> yeah. That hurts me. Like the hurt, you know what I mean? When right. when really someone who is hurt, and if, if they're strong enough to express it, because a lot of people get hurt in a lot of different ways and don't express it at all, right? right. So if you're lucky enough to have someone tell you, hey, that was hurtful. That I don't like the way you said that, or the way yeah. you said that hurt me, or what you did hurt me. Mm -hmm. Then you, as the person who's now the herder, you're not allowed to tell the hurt person that it wasn't that bad or to imply any judgment to that. In fact, you take that as opportunity for growth. You take that as an opportunity for self-assessment. Like, wait a minute. What, what, what did I say that was hurtful? What did I do that was hurtful? Help me understand your perspective on the situation. Mm -hmm. There is that humility that has to come um, and taking responsibility for your actions, right? And it's... 
breaking that fourth wall of white privilege and white supremacy that gives you permission as a white person to never acknowledge it. Yeah. Right. Right. Because that's what we're trying to change. That's what part of being conscious is about. Mm -hmm. Is that like, wait a minute. I, I'm conscious. I'm aware. I understand that everything I say and I, everything I do, you know, every action creates a reaction. Right. right? And that's physics. That's basic. So then you, <laughs> so then as you're physically moving through the world, right. understand that everything you do, everything you say, there is a reaction that's going to happen. Yeah. There, it's just inevitable, right? And so we want to be mindful of what that is. What impact are you having on the people around you everywhere, right? And I'm curious, like, what has that been like for you mm. to apply those principles in your mm -hmm. own life, in your everyday actions? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it's hard. <laughs> yeah. It's really hard. I would um, imagine. It, because it opens me up to uh, really having to listen mm -hmm. and hear people say, that wasn't cool. Um, or to say, like, that really hurt me. And then I, and then I feel all those feelings of shame and guilt and... Um, but it also, it's more meaningful, you know, I then have these experiences with people where I'm now at a point, and this is a daily process for me, I feel like every day I'm still learning how to do this, mm -hmm. um, I feel incredibly awkward in my white fragility, um, and that's okay, I feel yeah. incredibly awkward as a medical student and right. as someone who's an adult, and like, yeah. this is one of the things that, uh, is something I actively need to pursue learning how to do. And um, it's uncomfortable. And I, I think part of this too, and, and one of the takeaways from my research is how do we help medical educators, how do we help teachers, how do we help white people see that it, it's okay, you have to, you're gonna be uncomfortable, mm -hmm. and how do we say, okay, here's the dish of uncomfortable, please eat it. <laughs> right, 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 right. You're going to love it one day. Right. Because right. it's the more authentic way to be. I think the most powerful evidence for the fact that you should eat the plate of uncomfortable <laughs> is that after you do, you're still alive. Like, she's yeah. still alive. Yeah. She ate, oh, the, yeah. she ate yeah. the uncomfortable pie and she's still here. Like, yeah. So yeah. believe that you too will live through yeah. the pain of discomfort. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You'll live yeah. through it. You're not going to die. You know, for me, I'm just trying to do this little juxtaposition because I think about how um, offline before you were telling me about the work that you did previously where you were working more focused with communities of color. Yeah. And, like, I just think about, like, the space as, like, a white do-gooder, you know, in those spaces that a lot of times, you know, you kind of could be in a place where it's, like, you're getting praise for the work that you do because, like, oh, you're so, like you know, you have such a big heart, you know, look at you going outside of your community and trying mm. to make an impact and blah, 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 you know. So it's interesting to kind of do this shift where it's like, you know, you could receive a lot of external praise as a white person for supporting groups and causes for people of color. Right. Yet when you turn mm -hmm. that focus and you start looking at, well, what about my community and what about whiteness? Mm -hmm. And then all of the stuff that comes up yep. and that you, you know, 
have to be uncomfortable, but also may not um, receive praise and appreciation from whites about yeah. the work that you're doing. Right, and in fact, you may get attacked for doing it because the, their white fragility is activated. And like, wait a minute, you're gonna go out. You're there. making me really uncomfortable. You're, you're, gonna, <laughs> you're gonna, it's like making me and really it's uncomfortable. Right, and it's like, wait a minute, you're gonna go out there and shake up the white tree, and like all of this white truth is gonna all fall the white out. Fruits are falling all down. the white gonna fall from our white tree. What do you think you're doing? And people yeah. eat the apple, and then right. they wake up. It's like oh Adam my and Eve. Oh and that's a cause for the alarm right yeah. there. So when we when we when we talk about all the work that needs to be done, I mean, what are some resources, right? Let's get tangible. What are mm -hmm. some of the resources? Books, videos, authors, yeah. any social media? Get lay it on them. Let them know where they can go. How can we? How can we yeah. start to change some of this? Yeah. Well, one thing for UCSF faculty, I'm working on an anti-racism toolkit with my mentor mm -hmm. for this research, Dr. Andrea Jackson, mm -hmm. who is. Um, uh, a professor at UCSF and part of the um, the Differences Matter. She's a lead on one of the Differences Matter committees. Mm -hmm. And um, we're creating a toolkit that spells out some of these concepts for faculty. Um, and uh, in terms of sort of do your homework, um, I think a really good starting place to really understand like whiteness and it's all around me is this podcast called Scene on Radio. Mm -hmm. And it's seen like um, theater scene, S-C-E-N-E. Oh, okay. And the series is called Seeing White. Mm. I actually have, uh, I have that on my like queue of oh, ones to listen yeah. to. It's so good. And it, it's, it's just so explicit and direct. And it takes, there's like 30 episodes and it just takes you through historical uh, sort of formations of the concept of whiteness mm -hmm. and like how, how it works now. So we know if you're listening to this podcast, you like podcasts. So yeah, listen to this podcast. Then listen to that podcast. Definitely plug in scene on yeah. Yeah, scene on radio. Radio. Yeah, mm -hmm. and the scene white series. Scene right. White. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and then we can always, you know, pull out our Googles and do a great search online. I'm sure that there are, I mean, there's other books. I've heard of a book called White Fragility specifically. Yeah, yeah that's a great um, book to start with. Yeah, that folks can read. Um, anybody can read. You don't have to be white to read it. Everybody can read it. True. Um, and there's also a book, White Like Me, Yeah. Uh, Tim yeah. Wise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good author. Yeah. yeah. I really, I think I the White Fragility, it's called White Fragility, why it's so hard for white people to talk about racism exactly. is such a great starting place. Yeah. Mm. Because she just spells it out also. Right. Like, this is what white fragility is, and um, here's how it happens. Yeah. Um, so a lot of what we talked about, you know, it is in that book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's a good starting place. Um, I also think, you know, um, uh, like, there's a... The mo like the movies this year. You could watch Blind Spotting. Yeah, I love that movie. We did a whole episode oh. about it. Yes. Yeah, that's a good place to start. That's a great way. Yeah. Listen to interviews mm -hmm. um, with uh, like uh, scholars, with uh, you know thinkers. Yes. Uh, poetry, like. Mm -hmm. Just start to like explore the world of like one. If you don't, if you feel like you don't understand how racism works, just start to read up about it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then also have conversations. Yeah. 
You know, like try, try talking about it. Right. It's and okay to make mistakes. We we are at one medical institution, but we know that um, our medical institution does reflect the situations that are at a lot of medical institutions, yeah. education institutions, and just any kind of bureaucratic We're institution anywhere. We're actually the number one hospital in California. Um, <laughs> so the thing, so the thing that I would like to just in, in, implore our audience to do is like check the institutions where you work, the schools that you go to, your churches, your local community. Actually, the city that you live in um, may have a race and equity uh, committee. It may have a department that's focused on having these conversations and educating people and directing you towards tools that exist. So mm -hmm. wherever you are in the world, wherever you are in the country, I guarantee you that there is a NAACP chapter or there is a coalition or there is a race and equity council somewhere in the institutions that you already move through, that you're already a part of, that could kind of tap you in and dial you into more resources and actually get you active. If, you're, if you've done your assessments and you've done your reading and you feel like you're ready to start doing something um, and start impacting the lives of other people, there is somewhere around you immediately that you'd be able to start. I say start right. with your school, start with your job. And if there isn't one, then maybe you're the one to start mm. one mm -hmm. after you've done some of that work that needs to be done. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And in terms of resources, also, um, uh, if you check out our website, we'll go ahead and post a link um, for some of the research that Rachel has done, right. as well as her email address. Right. And know, some so additional resources You can be everybody. in contact with this lovely woman <laughs> right here and learn all about whiteness and white fragility direct yeah. from the source. And yes. Let's invite more white women to have these conversations. Yeah. And white men, because as we know, a lot of these institutions that are perpetuating white supremacy are led by white men. And what we've seen is that they're the last ones to come into the conversation. Mm -hmm. Like, if we talk about who's white and who's coming to the conversation, first it's white women. That's we true. need to explicitly invite white men to the conversation. I need every woke white man that's out there to go grab yes. two other white men mm -hmm. and bring them into the conversation and yeah. let's all accept responsibility for fixing the situation that none of us made, but all of us live in. Mm -hmm. Some of us benefit from, some of us don't. But let's just all get active about that, okay? All and right. this has been a very fun episode. Thank yeah, you so yeah. much for Thank being so here. Much. We Thank really, you. really appreciate your time. Yes. I'm Mylika. I'm Myra. And this is Color Be Conscious. Bye. If we made you think and you'd like to continue the conversation, visit our website, www.colormeconsciouspodcast.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Color Me Conscious Podcast. <laughs>